we can go. All right. Um, next week, as we begin the uh, the new liturgical year, I'm going to pick up the series on the Corinthian letters and start Second Corinthians. Um, tie it in with uh, some of the other things we're doing. Um, the message I'm doing today is really one that I wanted to. Uh, I've been wanting to do a series. Don't know how to do that. The problem with doing a series is that we're always uh, hitting a holy day, <laughs> uh, and so. Um, but I want to do a series on the holy days, not an explanation of them. You're pretty much familiar with them. But over time, I begin to notice parallels in theme, connections, uh, and so I've entitled this series, even though I'm only doing one message from it today, uh, Holy Day Connections. I wanted to call it Hinge Pins and Hyperlinks, uh, because if you have... Uh, if you're familiar with a door, that pin, that pin that sits in there takes the two pieces and holds them together. And there are things that connect in the holy days like that. In addition, there are hyperlinks where themes and contexts uh, get transferred. Um, we've talked about this before. The, the primary uh, linchpin, if you will, for uh, uh, the Sabbath and the Lord's Day is the Havdalah service, that service at the end of the day as the sun is going down, where Shabbat is ending, and for uh, the church, uh, the Lord's Day is beginning, because the early church used that time to celebrate resurrection, and tie it, and just set it on the Sabbath. Over time, they kind of got separated and elongated into two separate days, but that linchpin is there. Um, Clearly, there's a linchpin between Passover and Resurrection, First Fruits, and all of those things, Pentecost and Shavuot, um, and you know those, but there are also a lot of connections um, that are simple hints at things, or parallels, or little echoes that take place um, in the scriptures. And the more I observe the holy days, and the more I read on the traditions of them, the more I see those connections. So I want to talk about those as we enter into the winter holy days. I want to begin with uh, John chapter 10, verse 22. Um, it says this, At that time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. Now, it's important to understand that the feast of the dedication... Uh, if we were uh, calling it by its Hebrew name, is Hanukkah. So this is, that's what Hanukkah means, dedication. So the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. That's in, in, important, John says this. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The portico of Solomon is that area that surrounds the court of the Gentiles, the place where people would gather and, and worship and study and all of that. And it is there the Jews gathered around him, the Judeans, uh, and said, uh, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And he said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father, we are one. And the Judeans pick up stones again to stone him. And he said, for many uh, good works uh, I've shown you from the Father, for which of those are you stoning me? And they said, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They knew exactly what he was saying. And he answered them and said, has it not been written in the Torah, I said, you are God's. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, that's what we're celebrating now, the incarnation, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, Though you do not believe me, believe the work, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Now, this connection between incarnation and Hanukkah is, is a, one of these things I'm talking about. Uh, and I don't know about you, but my path to understand the more fullness of the scriptures has been a rough one. Um, I was so much of a replacement person in my Youth for Christ training that if anybody even remotely uh, claimed anything from the Old Testament, I would send them a Hanukkah card at Christmas rather than a Christmas card in in effect saying you don't deserve a christmas card you get a hanukkah card because you're you're not here yet right um i read the book two babylons by alexander hislop um a uh, a bogus document but very uh widely read claiming that everything that goes on in the uh, Roman church is simply paganism dressed in Christianity and particularly related to the holy days. So much so that I wouldn't allow a Christmas tree in my house. Uh, I w- w- just stopped the whole thing. It was so bad that my in-laws actually dropped a tree off one year uh, thinking that maybe we couldn't afford one. Uh, I just... Uh, when I struggle with these things, I struggle pretty severely. Uh, my training as an anthropologist was in part for me to begin to look at these origins and try to understand what the dynamics and what was going on. And I began to see that I had zeal without knowledge. And this time of year, there are a lot of those kinds out there who want to... Uh, argue about paganism and all kinds of other things. Uh, Most things that they don't understand, they uh, just read something that's apparent and not real. So, as a Judeo-Christian community, we observe these biblical holy days, and most of the Jewish and Christian ones as well. In addition, as Americans, we participate in our homes and families in many of the national and cultural holidays. Now, a holy day 
uh, is a religious observance that remembers and reinforces the history and hope of God's promises and purpose. They're focused primarily, that is, first of all, on God's dealing with mankind through Israel, but ultimately are God's holy days, not the church's and not Judaism's. Um, Judaism and Christianity have added holy days based on the acts of God in history and manifestations of his faithfulness in in history uh, as his purpose has unfolded. So holy days are important religious uh, markers. Holidays, a shortened abbreviation of that word, are secular, national, and cultural days set aside to remember and to reinforce the history and values of a given culture or a nation. They serve a similar function as holy, as holy days, uh, and the term holiday itself is just a shortened form of that. But the reality is there's a difference between a holiday and a holy day in terms of the focus, uh, one being religious in nature and the other one being cultural and national in nature. Now, because of the historic influence of Judaism and Christianity on Western culture in Europe and the founding of the United States, most of our holy days and holidays have religious and secular overlap. And this creates confusion for many people as to what the celebrations and the traditions associated with the holy days and the holidays mean. And this overlap is the result of what anthropologists call syncretism. Now, syncretism is a very misunderstood uh, concept. And in many religious communities, the word syncretism is a bad word. It's not a bad word. Uh, there are abuses of it and there are functions of it. So I want to explain it briefly to you. Syncretism is the borrowing and connecting of distinct religious and cultural traditions into a collage of traditions which have mutual as well as exclusive meanings and which allow members who come from different groups to engage in the traditions and the ceremonies from their own identity perspectives. Two kinds of syncretisms exist. I'm going to talk about those. But I want you to understand that at one of the syncretisms of recent years in American culture is a elevation of Hanukkah into the Christian context and a realization by the Christian world that Hanukkah has significance and import uh, to us as well. Uh, that's not a bad thing. It actually is a good thing. And it reconnects some connections that existed uh, long, long ago. So two kinds of, of syncretism. The first one I'm going to call adaptive syncretism. This involves the adaptation of religious or cultural tradition to the conditions and the necessities of a diaspora situation or an occupational situation, as in the case of Rome occupying Israel. Um, this, the basic identity and meaning of the tradition is maintained, and the adaptation is used to prevent the loss of that identity. So, for example, 
we use pagan names for the months and the days of our calendar. But none of us think of those as the gods and as the pagan thing. Those words are simply used because they're commonly used in the culture. And the culture doesn't think anything religious of them. We don't think anything religious of them. They simply are not pagan. Now it's true that the Jewish way of looking at it is the first day of the week, the second day of the week, the third day of the week, fourth day of the week, the fifth day of the week, the sixth day of the week, and the Shabbat. Okay? But Jews use its December 6th with no problem. Uh, and they will use January, even though it's named after Janus. They will talk about Saturn or Saturday. They, that's, they don't see that as a violation because they're maintaining their identity and simply using those as a convention to talk to the larger community, which also doesn't see those as religious. But you will find people who will find the origin of that and trigger something and then make an argument. So, adaptive syncretism is a way for a group to adapt to the environment that they're in and maintain as much as possible their religious and cultural tradition in that sense. The other one is what I call transformative syncretism. Uh, this is, involves something that is borrowed or usually imposed upon the tradition that is problematic and is actually in conflict with the true meaning and the function of the religious or cultural tradition. And the borrowed or imposed tradition then is transformed into a meaning consistent with the identity and meaning of the people grouped under pressure. Now we see this in Jewish history as they're in Babylon and the Babylonian astrological system is being imposed on them and they simply take the signs of the zodiac and attribute them to the twelve tribes of Israel and those symbols get used in both ways. In other words, while that could have been a serious violation if they really had gone into the astrology of the Babylon. Babylonians, they simply don't do that. They simply adapt it in a way that maintains their identity so that it won't threaten who they are and what they're about. And we have the Murano Jews who were forced into Christian conversion and would sneak into a small chamber in their house on Friday night to do the prayers and observe the Shabbat. Maintaining their identity as Jews even though they were forced to become if you will, Gentiles by conversion to Christianity. So, syncretism is not a bad word. It is a way of surviving and avoiding assimilation and um, acculturation in, in those kinds of sense. So, it's a deliberate process, but after several generations, the reason for the syncretism can be lost. And the form of celebration can take on a life and explanation of its own. And the tradition or holy day then moves away from its original intent. So we have to be careful that we understand why the connections are there and where the lines need to be drawn so that we can make distinctions in that framework. The 
connection between what we would call cultural Christmas and the celebration of the Incarnation must be maintained for our, our identity as Christians. So, in most groups, religious or cultural, there are zealots who become purists or eclectics who become polemic regarding the claims of the origin and meaning of the holidays. Um, and we are seeing this in American culture right now in a non-religious context with regard to what does it mean to stand or kneel when the national anthem is going on and what is the use of national monuments that may have people who did things or stood for things that have been overthrown in the culture, the Confederate monuments. The culture is struggling with this now because they no longer have the foundational knowledge of why those things were done. So now it's a matter of how do I feel about it, postmodernism, and that will turn us into uh, being at each other's throats. And the same thing happens in religious groups. So as we enter the winter holy days and the holidays, uh, the voices of the purists and the eclectics are going to rise in our hearing to attack and defend Christmas. Keep Christ in Christmas. It's all pagan. You know, uh, I won't have that stuff in my... All that stuff is going to begin to happen. I want you to just kind of take a chill pill and, and lighten up a little bit. Okay, so... Uh, let me talk briefly about these winter holy days and a little bit about some of the connections between them. Then we'll talk a little bit about celebration and then when we have our conversation, our q and I, I want us to be able to talk a little more specifically about, about some of these things. Um, the, the winter holy day seasons actually have a a linchpin, and that's Thanksgiving. I talked about this last week. Thanksgiving is an American cultural and religious holiday which is connected to Sukkot, the fall holy day of Judaism, and other cultural uh, holidays that relate to harvest, the fall harvest, and uh, all of that kind of thing. That's why the pumpkins and the gourds and all, all that are used in that context. Um, and they have been syncretized. They've been adapted with issues of family values and general thankfulness. So that even non-religious people and people who don't even share uh, uh, being part of America can in some sense celebrate that that holiday. So it it serves as a entrance into the winter holidays and a final echo of the of the fall ones in that sense hanukkah is a major holy day in diaspora judaism it has less significance in israel that makes sense in israel it's not up against much anything else so it's just another holiday okay remember the maccabees but in america where the Jews were up against all of Christianity and everything else celebrating Christmas, a way to maintain their identity was to reinforce and emphasize Hanukkah in that sense. So, Hanukkah is the, the victory of the Maccabees against uh, Antiochus or Antiochus, depending on your pronunciation, the fourth, who was called Epiphanes establishing an independent state of Israel for a period of time. And they dedicated 
in a sense, rededicated the temple because it had been violated. And the tradition that we have is that the menorah, when it was uh, lit, had one day's worth of oil burned for eight days while they made the oil. Um, That's a legend tied to it. Legends get tied to all of the holy days. Uh, But the only scriptural texts regarding Hanukkah are found in the book of Maccabees, found in the uh, Eastern Orthodox and Catholic Bible, and in this passage of John uh, that we have. The Talmud recites the story of the Maccabees, uh, and but that's later writing to these biblical texts. Now, uh, it's celebrated on the 25th of the month of Kislev. And it's observed by lighting candles for eight days. The reason for that, and why John says it was dedication in the winter, is the first two temples, Solomon's temple and the temple at the time of uh, the uh, return uh, under Zerubbabel and and, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, both of those, the dedication of the temple took place during Sukkot. And the eight-day celebration took place in that context. So, it is a Sukkot celebration done in winter because they're dedicating, rededicating the temple. That's why the eight days, that's why the legend of the light for the eight days in that context. It's being celebrated at the time of Jesus, and Jesus is in Jerusalem, not a little detail, for that holy day, um, even though he's from the Galilee area. All right, The 25th of the month, keep that in mind, because the 25th of the month that overlaps Kislev, is December, and we celebrate the birth of Christ on the 25th of December. There is a connection in that context. Several themes of, uh, of this will blur throughout all of the Holy Days. The next one is Advent. Advent is celebrated four Sundays prior to Christmas Eve can include Christmas Eve, as it does this year. This is a time of preparation for Christmas. It's really like Lent. It's not a time of celebrating Christmas. Christmas doesn't start till December 25th. It's a period of preparation towards that, and it looks at both comings, the first coming and the second coming, as the prophets have foretold what Judaism would have called the Messiah who suffers and the Messiah who reigns. Messiah, son of Joseph. Messiah, son of David. So it focuses on that and the incarnation and the second coming. Candles are also lighted, so it is similar to the Hanukkah framework. And there are several other themes that it shares with Hanukkah and with Sukkot. Uh, as we move towards Christmas. But Advent is a preparation time. The traditional color is purple, like Lent, but in recent years, people have moved to the blue that matches the Hanukkah colors. So, again, we begin to see the clarity uh, of the connections in those things. Now, Christmas, or Christ Mass, is the celebration of the incarnation and birth of Jesus. It's celebrated for 12 days, beginning with a candlelight service at the end, what we call Christmas Eve, 
era of Christmas, right? Because the the day that we call Christmas Eve isn't Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is that night. So the fourth Sunday of Advent this year will be that Sunday day. And then as the sun goes down, we're actually in the next day. This is Jewish thinking. And so the eve of Christmas is celebrated to begin Christmas through the day. Nobody cares about Christmas night. It has no meaning because it ties in to this kind of Hebraic thinking of the sun be- sundown beginning the day and going from sundown to sundown. It's celebrated for 12 days, which will take it all the way through to January 6th, which is Epiphany. Okay, I'll talk about Epiphany later. It has direct connections to Hanukkah. Uh, Not only does it use Jewish time, it connects to Hanukkah with the 25th as the kickoff, but it also has an eight-day sequence within the 12 days that ties into it because on the eighth day of Christmas is also uh, would be the day for the commemoration of the circumcision of Jesus on the eighth day. And that turns out to be New Year's. I'll talk about New Year's uh, in a minute. So, Christmas is also a cultural and secular holiday which celebrates winter and childhood. It overlaps the religious and cultural meanings through the care of the poor and the less fortunate. And Christmas is significantly impacted by syncretism, both religious and secular. One of the, if you're familiar with the Christmas carol story, it really is that non-religious notion and talks about the care, the, the, their religious values, but done in a, uh, you, you should do this for humanity kind of thing, a broader, broader perspective. So, now New Year's Day. The history of the start of the year is fascinating and confusing. I've, written, I've read several books on calendars over the years. Uh, it's a fascinating subject. It's impossible to keep the information clear. <clears throat> Our culture originally had March 1st as the New Year. March 1st was the New Year. This connected to the biblical New Year of the month of Nisan with Passover. And that was the historic European New Year until the Middle Ages. At the Middle Ages, there was a shift, several actually, and during that time, for a period, April 1st became New Year's. And then it was shifted to January 1st. For a while, people, particularly religious people, didn't want to let go of that spring New Year. And they were called April Fools. Okay? Because now it's January 1st. Now, January 1st is significant because it's the eighth day after Christmas and therefore becomes tied to the circumcision of Jesus and ultimately in the liturgy, the dedication of Jesus in the temple because it ties those eight days to Sukkot. Many people believe that Jesus was actually born during Sukkot, during tabernacles. 
and, and circumcised on the eighth day. If that's true, then the announcement to Mary and the conception would have taken place in December. The connections are still there. And so we get people that say, oh, I think it's this way. I, I don't care about it. I want you to understand that these were not struggles with paganism. They were struggles with how do we look at the life of Jesus in the context of the holy days already in place related to Judaism. So, uh, this notion of New Year's Day is carried over in many churches who will pray... New Year's Eve, they'll gather together in the churches and have candlelight evening services up till midnight in that same way. Not, not a biblically required, not even a religiously required, but a very common uh, uh, expression found in churches. Finally, Epiphany. Epiphany is January 6th. It means appearing. It's a Christian celebration and probably one of the earliest. Epiphany means appearing and therefore is connected to the idea of the incarnation by combining the nativity, the arrival of the wise men, and the baptism of Jesus. Those events got pulled together, like the circumcision and the dedication at the temple. And so Epiphany began to be used in that context. And again, traditions get attached to that. So if you come out of a Hispanic cultural background, you are very familiar with Three Kings Day, which is almost, it's got a lot of Christmas stuff in it, it's got a lot of Hanukkah stuff in it, it's, it's one of those connections uh, that's there. Um, so, it then ties up for the Christian calendar, this waiting period up to Lent, and then the resurrection, because the incarnation and the resurrection are the two major themes of Christian holy days. In the same way that Exodus and dwelling with God in the wilderness are the major themes of the Jewish holy days. So, what do we celebrate? My uh, watch just told me I did a great job of exercising. Happens whenever I have a class or, you know. Now, each of your households must decide appropriate set of holy days and holidays to be observed in your home. Um, But I want you to remember that we as a congregation focus on the religious identity as a priority over our cultural and national one. Um, So while I will focus primarily on the religious aspects of of these holy days, I will not necessarily give up an acknowledgement of of, uh, December 7th uh, and the attack on Pearl Harbor because that's part of my cultural heritage. But it doesn't rise to the same level as my religious identity. So you have to select these for your own house and your own uh, framework uh, together. It's important for children to be able to separate the religious and cultural meanings so that they don't become confused. And that may involve separating traditions and explaining them each year anew. So how do we navigate through the traditions? 
Well, one way of navigating through the traditions, and by that I mean more than the holiday, all the stuff that gets attached to it, is by understanding their connections and the history of syncretism uh, that has occurred. By clarifying this for yourself, you can use the holy days and the holidays to establish and reinforce the religious and cultural identity of your children. And I'll save the details for our Q&A, but let me give you a general statement so that you understand what I'm talking about. I generally separate the religious holy days from the cultural holy days. And this works out easy to be able to take Advent, Hanukkah, and Epiphany uh, and separate them from anything that might be going on in the culture. The one that's more difficult is Christmas. It's problematic. Now, it's easy to separate the nativity display as religious or a Christian hymn like angels we have heard on high as religious in comparison to grandma got run over by a reindeer or Frosty the snowman. Some of these are easy, okay? But some of them kind of blur the lines. Uh, Let's give thanks to the Lord above because Santa Claus comes tonight. Now, how, how do you tie that one, right? So, um, Christmas trees and some aspects of the legend of St. Nicholas, more commonly called Santa Claus, are much more difficult. So, for my household, we have generally put the Christmas tree and Santa Claus in the cultural context and see them of what I call the Santa Claus game. We still play it to some extent. Okay. By the way, Santa Claus loves Rolos. And so, just wanted to let you know that. Um, this is why uh, a Christmas tree is not found in our sanctuary. Okay. Uh, for me... The Christmas tree has been usurped from any Protestant and Catholic uh, development at the time of the Reformation uh, to become a symbol of the whole general notion of Christmas. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll let them have that. And I can enjoy that as a secular uh, cultural item. Uh, but I do reinforce that part of the Santa Claus tradition includes St. Nicholas. And much of what is in the legends related to that come out of a religious history. And I want my kids and grandkids uh, to know that. So whenever that comes up, I bring that out. There are also, for many of you and us, ethnic traditions such as lasagna on Christmas or tamales on Christmas um, that are part of your national thing. And I think that's great. I think the children need to know that. Now, they need to know that it's that's not necessarily in the kosher structure of, of Israel that they, you know, Mary and Joseph didn't have tamales uh, in that context, right? So, under, kids are good at separating what's cultural and ethnic and what's American cultural that has, has overlap with the religious and what is the clear religious meaning of the ceremonies that we do. So, uh, remember that in uh, the scriptures, the nations 
of the world will come up to Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot. And I believe that they will probably bring some adaptation of their own celebrations into that context that will be guided by the light of Israel but not identical to the practice of Israel. It's one of the things that we've done in the Disciple Center is that we, we parallel the Jewish celebrations in such a way that a Jew looking at them would know exactly what we're doing, but would see it somewhat different and therefore not feel like we are usurping them or replacing them. And a non-believing Jew would see it well enough to be like a kid who would say, hey, that's mine, and we can say, yes, do it, right? In other words, we can provoke them to envy, and we don't provoke people to confusion in that context. That's not an easy process, but I think we've done it fairly well. So, before we close the recording and enter the discussion time, I want to encourage you to set a focus on the religious instruction and identity of your children in these holy days and make Advent, Hanukkah, Christmas, and Epiphany a serious and fun religious expression in your home. And add from the rest of the celebrations and traditions uh, the cultural fun of the season, uh, which makes the time wonderful and joyful. Uh, when the voices of the cynics cry out that this is paganism, just be aware that in almost all cases of their claim, they have a faulty understanding of history or a misunderstanding of what syncretism really is, and they are more zealous and confused than informed. And I, since I used to be one of those, I know exactly what I'm talking about. It takes one to know one. Uh, so, uh, we're going to close off the recording, but let's go to the Lord in prayer.